All right, so there's a lot there in that scripture. We're going to take as much of it as we can and focus particularly on the first part, the blessed are part, which is called the Beatitudes. But for those who want to dive into this ever deeper, know that each week we have a Bible study that meets to talk and explore the whole of these passages that we're talking through. And so that Bible study is Tuesdays at two, 1 o'clock. Um, and you can find that there's a pamphlet, a little booklet out in the narthex that goes along with this each week with some invitations for reflection, daily readings if you want them, and so that can be used in preparation for Bible study or for personal reflection as well because these texts, all of the scripture texts that we, we come to have so much in them that there's more than we could take in any single given Sunday. So we're really honing in on the Beatitudes this morning. Let us begin with prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Friends, what is it we do when life knocks us down just one time too many? I rode a mechanical bull once in college. It just appeared on campus one day without any explanation, as was sometimes the case at my school. They would bring in these fun sorts of activities um, from just for a day at a time here, there, or anywhere else as a sort of community-building thing or a stress relief at the end of the semester with finals going on. And so it just happened that I walked out of my dorm one day, a completely ordinary afternoon, and there it was, a life-size mechanical longhorn bull surrounded by a dozen feet of inflatable padding for when the rider of the bull was inevitably thrown from the mechanical beast. And my immediate thought, was very, very simple. It was, I bet I can ride that. And I don't know where this thought came from. See, I'm, I was no more athletic then than I am now. I've got twigs for limbs, and I have this mental confidence absolutely unmatched by my actual ability. I had never ridden anything like this before, unless you count that ceramic plasticky pony that they used to have at Myers where you could put a penny in and it would rock you back and forth gently for like 60 seconds. That was the closest I had ever gotten. And still, I was convinced that I could hold on to this mechanical bull for some impressive amount of time. I don't know, 8 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. I felt like the sky was the limit, and so I went for it. I climbed on and I hung on with all of my might, and I was on that bull for like a a second, maybe, before getting tossed right up into the sky and landing with a thump on the padding. And yet even then, that rude interruption of reality couldn't derail the story that I was concocting in my mind where I might be knocked down once, but I could still prove to myself and to the world that I was some sort of bull-riding prodigy. I mean, I was lying there on the ground, cast off of this bull as, like, as carelessly as a horse might swat away a fly, and I still felt like if I could just get on again, I could do better. And if not then, then maybe the next time or the time after that. Because it's not how many times you get knocked down, people say. It's how many times you get back up. And even today, I have this inclination to believe that if one of you went and set up a mechanical bull in the fellowship hall downstairs, this might be the time that I could do it. I have no reason to believe that. 
I'm, I'm no more athletic than I was 10 years ago. And in fact, I am far less athletic, maybe, and less prepared. And still, I can't seem to shake the outline of that story where I could make it. I could do it as long as I kept getting up and trying again and again. It's the sort of story that might well be embedded in the American ideal and the culture we live in. Somebody paraphrasing a sentiment from John Steinbeck once quipped that there are no poor Americans, only temporarily embarrassed millionaires. We have this overriding and sometimes absurd belief that we can succeed at anything if only we work at it hard enough. It's fine to fall down as long as we get back up again, the story goes. I think the Beatitudes might well have gone differently if we had been left to write them. Some commentators suggest that we need to deeply understand the ancient culture of Jesus' time to recognize how radical the Beatitudes were. And normally I would agree. And it's certainly true that Jesus flips society on its head here by blessing all of the wrong people. And we'll see this theme again and again in the Gospel of Matthew, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And we're going to be paying particularly close attention to that over the next few weeks as we've grouped together some texts in this time uh, in a series that we've called Last Things First. But I don't think that we need to hold the Beatitudes up against the ancient culture to understand that Jesus was seeing people all backwards. Our own culture will do just fine for that comparison. Because we get squeamish when grieving people mourn for too long and might wonder if maybe there's a tactful way to get them back to normal and just be a little less sad for a while after they've been grieving for a week or a month or two. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we know the importance of being merciful, and yet we may not offer mercy if it means that we might get hurt again, knocked down again. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And we can understand the appeal of being peaceful while still suggesting that when we get knocked down and push comes to shove, we might have to push and shove to get back up. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And it's awfully hard to imagine that being meek can ever be a blessing when getting anything in life seems to require believing in the story of perseverance amid temporary setbacks. And still, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And see, it's not that we dismiss the poor and the grieving and the meek and the merciful and the peacemakers, not usually. It's just that we can only ever seem to see them as midway points, temporary embarrassments on the way to something else. But Jesus doesn't seem to think like that. Matthew is sometimes criticized for spiritualizing the Beatitudes. In Luke, Jesus offers a blessing on the poor, while Matthew has Jesus bestowing the blessing on the poor in spirit. And the two are different, to be sure, but they're not unrelated. Matthew doesn't have to overlook the poor to suggest that Jesus' blessing is for all those driven to a point where they have nothing left to give. Blessed are the poor, 
the ones so destitute, so mistreated and forgotten, who have gotten up only to be knocked down so many times in a row that they have no strength left to get up again, whose physical poverty is so severe that it has left them poor in spirit. It's not a temporary resting place, but the only place they can be because they have no strength left to do or be anything else. And there, Jesus offers a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger, we sometimes say, but that can't be true. Because sometimes the pain is chronic and doesn't go away. Sometimes the arthritis lingers and there's no answer to debilitating back pain. Sometimes there's nothing we can do to get back up again. There's nothing we can do to hop back on the bull and go for another ride. Sometimes we have nothing left and there Jesus offers a blessing. It can be easy to think that the Christian life demands the same thing as the American ideal, that we look good while living in faith, that we see everything except for overwhelming success as a temporary landing pad, that we forever strive and work towards being successful and happy and healthy and whole. It can be said at times that this is what it means to be salt. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But there's an odd thing about that, though. See, salt doesn't lose its flavor. Jesus says something about that here, but that's not how salt works. That's not something that salt does. It's one of the more stable elements, one of the most stable elements in all of nature. One of the few things that in all of our pantries will never go bad does not need to be replaced. We could still use the same salt today to season our food that Jesus once used in ancient Galilee. And so why would he suggest that salt, having lost its saltiness, would need to be tossed out and trampled in the streets. Perhaps it was because this is what we tend to do with those we have no use for, who have nothing left in them to strive with and no chance of achieving anything of note. And so we leave them behind to be trampled by our, our unrelenting movement towards something greater. But no one, should be trampled. No one should be left behind. And in the kingdom of heaven, this may well be a rhetorical device to point out exactly that, that what makes us faithful disciples is not our success, not our ability to get back up over and over and over and over again, nor anything else. It is simply that we are loved by God, a God who does not leave anyone behind doesn't leave anyone unloved, unblessed, to be trampled in the streets. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. And he describes it in blessings and in promises. And he offers that to the church that comes and follows him. And so it is that around here, we don't leave people behind. Even when they can't live that story of perseverance amid temporary setbacks, we offer comfort 
and welcome. We serve and we embrace, and then there's nothing else we can do. When we're up against those things that cannot be fixed, against the poverty of spirit that overwhelms and overtakes, we remember that the story outside of these walls is not the story that we hold to in here. The Beatitudes follow a pattern. Blessed are, for they will, at least for six of the eight. We're blessed now because despite the world we know well, this world where the successful are lauded and everyone else is trampled, where wars follow wars and might makes right and the innocent suffer, we know that God is at work bringing all of creation to peace and rejoicing. We know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, peeking through here and there in this place, offering strength and encouragement to those who have nothing left. The story that we hold to is not that we have to get up over and over and over again, but that we are inextricably bound to one who has never stopped working, has never stopped holding us and caring for us and loving us. And so when everything else is gone, when there's nothing else we can do, when all is lost, God is still here. And God is still with us with a blessing and a promise that the story is longer than we can see, that the hope is still there, that the promise is still true. And so when we come together, we can rest in what cannot be fixed. We can allow the grieving to grieve for as long as they need for those who are poor and destitute of spirit to be exactly that. We can offer mercy and grace in abundance. We can know that we might be knocked down, but God is still with us. Blessed are we, we might say, for we know the story which brings us life. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and is being brought to bear not by our own strength, but by the strength of God who works in and through us. And so we are a place that can welcome all people, even those who have nothing left. We are a place where we can be honest about how little we can have. We can be real about how little we can do. And we can be together in the grace and the love of God which holds us to a story of hope and promise that reaches beyond the years we can see, the years that we will walk, and the years that we will live. We are a people of blessing, a church of a story that calls us forward and onward and inward and deeper into the hands of God who can do all things. Blessed are we, for we know the story which brings us life. The kingdom of heaven is near. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us continue in worship this morning as we sing together our next hymn.